Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode where I continue our journey deep diving into anxiety. Today, I'm talking about tics and anxiety, and specifically tic-related obsessive compulsive disorder, which can occur really in more than half of our kiddos. I don't think people realize that if they have OCD, tics often go hand in hand with it. I've done lots of different anxiety workshops and webinars, and this is definitely one of the questions that often comes up, so I wanted to make sure that I address it. So first, I want to quickly talk about tick-related OCD just to make sure we're all on the same page. So obsessions, that's when we ruminate, right? We get a thought and it could be an image, it could be a story, it could be an impulse. And we get that thought and we start ruminating over and over and over again. So it starts to create this big anxiety, right? Everything that's going on in their head. So that's the obsession. The compulsion are the behaviors. So they obsess about needing to do a compulsion. So it could be checking the lock right? That's a common one. Checking under the bed, making sure all of the appliances are unplugged, washing their hands lots, right? So it, it could also be things, those are the overt behaviors, but there's things that they could be doing in their head. Maybe they're praying uh, mentally, right? Or they're counting over and over and over. Maybe they're running a checklist of things in their head. So there could be something that they're doing that we don't even actually see, but all of those compulsions, the behavior is to reduce that feeling of anxiety because the obsessions just build that anxiety up in the body. The compulsion is to help relieve some of that anxiety. So we have the obsessions, they cause the distress and the compulsions reduce that distress or minimize any chance of anything bad happening, right? So the distress could be, I'm going to check and uncheck, like lock that door 20 million times to make sure nothing bad happens. So we usually see a very clear link between that obsession and that compulsion usually, right? And it becomes a disorder when it's starting to take up a lot of time right? It's getting in the way of their functioning. Safety behaviors are good. Locking your door one time is a good thing. That's a good safety behavior that we want to do. Having to do it 20 million times over and over again, that's where it starts to get impairing. Okay. And there's lots of different ways that OCD can show up. So like I said, with COVID, I've seen so much more of it, just needing to wash away germs or just not even, I'm seeing a lot more of a agoraphobia where people aren't even wanting to leave their homes because they're so scared more of what's going to be happening. Um, hoarding, that's definitely something too, that we see. There's a lot of stress around First, the, the obsession of just needing to acquire, acquire, but there's so much distress with letting things go. So we see hoarding things, checking things, counting things, ordering things, arranging things. There could be superstitious behaviors, right? So like maybe I stepped on a shadow or a crack. Now I have to backtrack 20 steps, right? Just to make sure that they don't break their mom's back or something like that, right? They don't want anybody getting hurt. Perfectionism. This is actually a big one that I often talk about that we don't think about how perfectionism is actually an OCD behavior, right? We don't think of it that way, but we see OCD typically showing up in childhood and teenage years. And definitely perfectionism is one of those things where I need to redo and redo and redo my work, for example, right? But it can start in adulthood. We do often see it in childhood. We do see some kiddos who seem to develop OCD overnight, right? And sometimes that's you know, a cause of strep infection, right? Where we start to see pandas, which is something that I'm going to talk about in future episode, pans or pandas, where strep throat can contribute to things like OCD. So if you see something overnight, all of a sudden you're seeing these, there's a 
chance that there's something medically going on. And I'll get to that in in another piece. For the tics piece though, tics could either be a motor tic. So it's a behavior, like it could be lots of eye blinking or looking out of the corner of their eyes or like neck and shoulders. There's all sort of motor things, something in their body. It could be tapping, you know, tapping something or whatever that is, flicking. There's lots of different things physically that we see kids do. It could be vocal. Sniffing, humming, throat clearing, repeating phrases over and over. Those can be tics as well. Now, tics, they're considered semi-volitional, meaning most people, if they really work hard at it, they can suppress the tics. They usually come up in response to these urges that they have in their body, right? There's this building up of tension and the tick relieves it. So for example, if you have a really bad mosquito bite, you know, where you get it and you're just like, don't scratch it, don't scratch it becomes so overwhelming that you just have to scratch it. That's kind of what the tick is. We have this huge overwhelming feeling. I just got to scratch it. The tick happens and then I feel a little bit better, right? So that urge, it could be a tension or a pressure, but it could even be a heat or coldness, or it's just that feeling of anxiety that just becomes so overwhelming that the ticks start coming out. And obviously we see them a lot more when kiddos are stressed. So when we look at the tick related OCD specifically, we're looking at this functional relationship between the obsession and the resulting tick. Again, there could be some cognitive things going on or some intrusive thoughts, but it could also be the physical sensation, like I said, or the belief that I have to reduce the sensation to, or even, even things out. Sometimes it's not even anxiety related. It's just, I accidentally hit my hand, my left hand on this side. So now I have to even even things out with the the right side, for example, right? So the tick, it has the same goal as compulsions to create relief. That's what it's for. So compulsions usually have a lot more of a cognitive piece, right? Way more than just the ticks alone. So, so that's where we see a lot of more of the rumination versus with the ticks, it's more the feeling, that overwhelming feeling. So we need to make sure we're addressing the tick-related OCD. If we're going to do that, we really need to do a functional analysis to understand the function of the tick in the first place, because sometimes it's a repetitive movement that might look like a tick, but it could be a compulsion. So for example, you know, kiddos who might need to look over their shoulder all the time, right? They're looking over their shoulder, but there's no thought like... <gasps> oh my gosh, I got to make sure I look over my shoulder because otherwise dad's going to get cancer, right? So the behavior sort, sort of becomes this antidote to neutralize whatever that superstition is. Ticks though, don't accompany that fear. It's not quite the same way. So they're not trying to minimize something bad from happening with ticks. Okay. So I think that that's important to think about. So it might look like a tick, but it's actually a compulsion to prevent something from happening. A tick though, it's, oh, I've done this with my left. Now I got to do it with my right to even it out, right? There's just this urge to look over my shoulder and it's relieving that tension that now this feels uneven and uncomfortable. So we might have the exact same behavior, but the behaviors are happening because of very different subjective experiences that our kiddos are having, right? And I think that that's really important why I always talk about we have to do a functional analysis to see what's going on, what's happening right before the behavior happens. So the obsession compels the person to engage in in a behavior. So now all that said, there's no specific way to know when we have a pure compulsion from a tick, because sometimes they're inter- 
entwined, right? And most of the time, a pure compulsion is quite rare. So I think that that's important, especially when we see so much overlap between OCD and tics, right? There's just so much. It's hard to sometimes disentangle those things. So with the tic-related OCD, we do see a lot more of the physical sensations along with the cognitive things that are happening before the OCD behavior. And like I said, for a lot of kids, it's just this overwhelming feeling that I just got to do my tic. What I do see very commonly are mental sensations, such as that just right feeling, right? And there's this mental energy that sort of builds up that needs to be released. And it's quite common in a lot of our kiddos with tics and OCD. And so we see a lot more of the repetitive sorts of behavior behaviors after they've experienced both the cognitive and a sensory sort of stimuli, like hitting my hand or rubbing my foot the wrong way on a stair or something like that. Now, the research is pretty mixed when we're comparing tick-related OCD with OCD without ticks. So for example, some researchers, they've concluded that we see ticks more in boys than girls, though others have said, well, girls are equally affected. So there's always going to be, with pretty much anything in the research, some mixed uh, information. Some have said that kiddos with tick-related OCD, they tend to have more sort of aggressive or sexual obsessions. We see a lot more washing, more counting, more hoarding, those kind of compulsions than those without the ticks. Whereas others have actually said there aren't any more washing or ordering sort of compulsions. So I think the really big key point here is that we need to highlight is kiddos are different. We can't make sweeping generalizations. So we need to figure out what's going on for this kiddo in front of us or individual. It's not just kiddo adults as well have tick related OCD. Now, one thing that's more consistent than the severity of OCD, the impairments and comorbidity, um, they're not affected whether or not the child has tick related OCD. So I think that that's important to note because I know a lot of people who think it's more severe if ticks are associated with it, but that's just not the case. The one big question researchers are still trying to figure out though, is if treatment's going to be different because some do argue that those kiddos with ticks, they have a harder time to treat. But the research again is really mixed and I don't want us to get caught in that story, especially for the individuals themselves because that's just gonna create this hopeless, helpless story that can make it really, it's just a big barrier to our success and being able to manage this. So I'm always looking confident and hopeful that, that, there, that there's things that we can be doing, right? Um, but there's also evidence, like I said, it's not a nail in the coffin because there is a lot of evidence suggesting that all kiddos can be equally <laughs> treated if we can figure out um, what's going on for them, right? But we got to see if treatment is going to be different because some argue that we need to address the anxiety before the ticks or ticks before the anxiety, all of those kinds of things. But, you know, everybody's going to respond differently to treatment. So I think that that's just the biggest thing, even in my own practice, right? I've not needed to make big changes at all because there's ticks to be true, truthful. I don't change how I'm approaching it. I just focus on the process of anxiety and the process of OCD and how it shows up. And for some people, it shows up with ticks. And so we're focusing on that process. So I don't want to get bogged down into the content of different things because that's where we can get stuck and that's where we can get our wheels spinning. And then we can just start fighting about what's true. And meanwhile, we're forgetting about, okay, what's the work that actually needs to be done here? Personally, I have actually found that ticks have been great to be able to start off and, and being able to jump into therapy. It's a huge 
benefit actually to be able to start into what we got to work on because there's a physical sensation. I work so much with my kiddos trying to drop into their body. They're just so disassociated from what anything that's happening within their body. And so I actually think ticks are helpful in this regard because there are physical sensations that they are very aware of. And so I feel like they actually have a step ahead of a lot of the kiddos that I see because of that very thing. They're very aware and, and, and they can really pay attention to those physical things that are happening. And so I actually find it way easier for them to connect with their body and what's going on than if they don't have ticks. Certainly a kiddo is going to still benefit from seeing an expert in both OCD and tick. So that's really important. So we want to address both. So certainly that's a, a, an additional consideration for some of our kiddos. So for example, if we're going to be doing exposure therapy, if we want to be able to disconfirm the obsessional fears, right? We also have to target those accompanying ticks because that can be a safety behavior that could be contributing to the maintenance of that OCD. So there's some considerations, right? For sure there are, but we don't have to do a whole overhaul of how we're, we're proceeding with our, our therapy, right? The process is still the same. And I think that's an important message that we need to remember. So it doesn't matter if it's ticks, it doesn't matter if it's compulsions, it doesn't matter if it's accommodations or safety behaviors or any other sort of anxiety related behaviors, each and every one of those are maintained by negative reinforcement. So what I mean by that is as soon as the kiddo engages in that behavior, whether it's a tick or locking the, the door, they're feeling better. These are very short-term temporary relief. It's like a band-aid, right? That relief though, it's going to reinforce that behavior again, because when I tick, I feel better. Guess what? My brain's like, oh, that's good. We feel better. Let's do it again and again and again and again. And so the process is going to be the same. It doesn't matter if it's ticks or not. We just want to make sure we're also addressing that. Now I spent a lot of time talking about fear extinction in previous episodes. Definitely go back and check those out if you haven't done that already. Um, but when I talk about fear extinction, extinction, we have to activate the amygdala. So just like in how to train your dragon, which I love on so many levels, there's so many good things about it. When it comes to anxiety hiccup, you know, if I equate the dragons to anxiety hiccup comes along and says, we don't, we, we, we don't have to get rid of the dragons, just like we can't get rid of anxiety, right? We can tame them. We can train them, but here's the thing. When they went and tamed and trained those dragons, those dragons were not asleep. They actually had to purposely go wake those dragons up, right? He had to put himself and his friends all had to put themselves in a very dangerous situation to do the training. And so same thing here. We have to activate that amygdala. We have to turn on that emotional brain if we're going to do any taming and training and rewiring the brain. So we have to create that distress. We have to on purpose be uncomfortable. And just so you know, I've already talked about this before, but just as a good reminder, our willingness to be uncomfortable and to put ourselves in those situations is 100% correlated with our outcomes. So our willingness to do that work and to be uncomfortable is directly correlated with how successful we're going to be with managing our anxiety. So I think that that's really important. And especially when we're working with any clients, adults or children, but being able to talk about, I like using the metaphor with the dragons because kids really connect with those metaphors. 
We got to make sure they're not engaging in escape behaviors or avoidance behaviors or creating another tick. It's almost like a Rolodex creating another tick on the side to help relieve those things, right? So making sure none of those compulsions and ticks or anything that's going on in their head, we don't want those to happen so that natural habituation occurs and they don't have a, yeah, but I had my fingers crossed behind my back. So it didn't really count. We don't want that to happen. We want to learn like, look, I didn't do any of these things and I still feel better. It wasn't because of my tick that I feel better. It wasn't because I locked the door that I feel better, right? I don't have to do those behaviors. And so when they realize those behaviors aren't needed, they're going to learn it's not those behaviors that are actually leading to that relief in the first place. Right. And so the brain isn't rewarded because we're seeing a lessening of those behaviors like, oh, that wasn't what helped at all. So we can start focusing on what actually is helpful. And when we're looking at tick related OCD, exposure is definitely important, right? They have to address the ticks and the compulsions. The only thing that we need to make sure is happening is that they're learning that the behavior, whatever that behavior is, it could be the tick, it could be the compulsion, um, whatever it is, it's not the thing that's actually keeping them safe. It's not the thing that's actually making them really feel better long-term. It's just a band-aid solution, right? It's not actually as rewarding as the amygdala wants us to believe because oftentimes we feel shameful afterwards. So when we don't have to do those, our brain is actually going to feel better and we're going to see, ah, it's not as beneficial and rewarding as we thought. So understanding what's going on and the function of the behavior and what we're doing, that might change depending on the nature of the ticks. So that's important to think about too. And not just the ticks, it could be dependent on the, the nature of the compulsions as well. So that's why, again, it's really important to do a proper functional analysis, which I find so many people miss doing. And I talk about it in my avoiding common mistakes that we make as mental health professionals, because that often is one of the things that we miss. Now, I do a lot of training on functional assessments, and there's so many little pieces, um, and I know I can't in this little podcast in our short amount of time get too much into that, but as a really quick example, we do have to decide what kind of exposure we're going to do based on what's going on for the child. So imaginal exposures, they're not great. If, if you've got things that we could be working on, they aren't very helpful at all. They're really only helpful if you've got someone with superstitious kinds of behaviors or things that they're worried about that are going to happen 80 years in the future, right? Um, and so those types of imaginal things can be really helpful, right? If they've got those obsessions and then they end up engaging in repetitive behaviors, but they don't know one way or the other if that's actually going to help. So maybe they're tapping their fingers, um, on something, or they're taking lots of steps to prevent something catastrophic happening in the future, right? But again, for someone else who might have had the very exact same tapping behaviors, doing that imaginal discomfort, you know, um, training might work on the one hand, but it's not going to work if that tapping is actually reducing the discomfort that comes. So I think that that's what I'm trying to get at, right? If it's relieving something to happen in the future, that's where imaginal training comes in. But if it's something right now to help reduce some of the feelings of discomfort, Im imagining it's not going to be helpful. It's a very different process, even though it's the exact same behavior. So this last example brings me how important it is to bring mindfulness and acceptance into the work. And I talk about that before, again, in previous 
episodes, but it's definitely critically important when we're looking at tick-related OCD kiddos so that they can build their distress tolerance. That's what we need to do. They need to learn that, hey, I can manage that overwhelming discomfort that the obsession is bringing. So we got to learn how to ride that wave. In my anxiety compass, I have a whole module just on helping kiddos learn how to accept and then be able to detach from those obsessions, right? And learn to tolerate that, that discomfort that they bring, you know, that anxiety brings with it, which is also really important. Now, relaxation and mindful meditation, those kinds of things, that's not uber helpful, right? relaxation, it's, it's not helpful. So we don't want to waste our time there because we're actually teaching the wrong lesson. Oftentimes it's how we bring it up, right? If, if we're telling them just relax, just breathe, we're reinforcing the story that they already have in their heads, that this feeling of discomfort and this feeling of anxiety is bad. And therefore I have to try to relax to get rid of it. And then what happens when they're just more tense and they can't get relaxed, right? That's a problem. So the mindfulness and acceptance piece, it's about being able to tolerate the distress. We're not trying to get rid of it. It's about, I can handle it, right? But we can also look at using mindfulness as a gateway to change. We're going to change the urge to tick. We're going to change the urge to engage in the compulsive behaviors, knowing that I'm mindful. Oh, there's that overwhelming need to itch. And I'm just going to sit it out. Oh, that, there's that overwhelming urge to go check on my door. And I'm just going to sit it out, right? I know it can be really tricky for some of the kiddos that I work with and, and a lot of my teens and adults too. So when I first work with them, I have to right away, start practicing dropping into their body, literally finding lots of times throughout the day where they're just going to drop into your left earlobe. What does your left earlobe feel like right now? Pay attention to it. So they really have to be mindful. They got to get out of their head and into their body to feel, do it now. What's your left earlobe? For some people, it's really, really hard. I can feel coolness and tingling. So being able to do that lots of different times throughout the day is going to be really important. So when you do it, you, you draw, describe what you can feel like that tingling or coolness or warmth or whatever it is. So many of my anxious clients, kids or adults have such a hard time purposely dropping into their body and feeling what's happening in their body and being able to stop. So another way to do it is saying, stop, how are you feeling right now? I usually have to give a word wheel or something because our brain can't process all of the emotions. Stop. How are you feeling? And where are you feeling it in your body right now? Okay. Oftentimes they're just getting so caught up in the panic story of whatever's happening in their body. They're like, I'm more than aware. I don't need mindfulness on what's going on in my body, but they're so caught up in the story. Right. And so they're, they're acting very reactively after anxiety's shown up, but we want to be able to say, no, really what's going on here and being able to describe it like an objective uh, observer, that's going to be really important. Now, once kiddos have lots of opportunities and clients, my adult clients as well, once they have those opportunities to practice dropping into their body, I start to get them to identify that wave of overwhelm right before they engage in the ticker compulsion, because they might be trying, don't do it, 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 don't do it. I got to do it. But what's that moment of that wave? right? Right where they're about to peak on that, the top of that wave. It's sort of like that mosquito bite. Like I said, I'm sure you've had that experience. We're trying to ignore it and you're trying to ignore it and you're trying to, and then it's just like, <gasps> I just need to do it. Right. And then there's the surge of discomfort 
and it becomes just so overwhelming. You break down and scratch. And then at first it feels really relieving, but you've got to do it again and again and again. And it's that point of the surge, right? Where we work with our clients to tolerate that surge and respond in a different way from how anxiety wants us to like scratch the mosquito bite or go check our locks or whatever it is. A lot of my kiddos, they have it's, it's not even the worrying that something's going to happen. It's just the discomfort or the discomfort of unevenness, right? They hit their fingers on the right hand and then they feel like they need to balance it out on the left hand. And so, like I said, it's not even always anxiety provoking, right? It's, it doesn't have to be that we often conceptualize it as the anxiety, but it could just be that feeling of discomfort and unevenness. So I think that that's important to think about. So when we focus on the process of anxiety, we're ensuring that everyone is responding in new ways. So ideally the very opposite of what anxiety wants. And so if kiddos feel that urge to look over their shoulder and then try to even it out or to tap their fingers, the opposite response would be to look straight ahead. I, I can feel my shoulder calling because I need to balance it out. Right. Or maybe I'm going to clench my fists. Instead of tapping my finger, I'm going to clench my fist to ride out that wave of discomfort. We just got to make sure, though, that that's now not becoming a compulsion or a tick-like behavior. Now, young children can have a really hard time being aware of that urge to tick. We usually have to see, see them lots just about improving their awareness from the time they're 10 onwards, especially. Um, the symptoms usually become more severe between that 10 and 12 year old range with ticks. So I think that that's important to know as well. And so sometimes it's just spending a lot of time on the awareness first before we can get them starting to change anything and changing their response to it. Now with OCD, we know exposure plus response prevention is the first line of treatment where kiddos, clients, their families, they're learning about OCD. Um, and then we start doing exposures to those things that freak them out. So maybe a toughing the inside of a public garbage can, right? Toughing it out by being able to put your hand in it and then not washing your hands. That's what we're going to be toughing out, right? Um, maybe it's thinking about things like thinking the scary thoughts on purpose that they're trying to push away and then making sure that they're not doing compulsions. And maybe it's washing their hands. Maybe it's saying a prayer. Maybe it's counting to 30 or something like that. Now it's not, not enough to say, don't wash your hands, right? Kids are going to go blank. They're going to get overwhelmed. The brain's going to scream, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. We need to give them a positive behavior, something that they can do instead. That's not also going to be like washing their hands. Like here, here's some sanitizer. So with this approach, kiddos are learning, they're confronting their fears, right? Without the need to do the, com the, the complete ritual or the compulsion or the tick, just like what I've been talking about, right? And this is exactly how I would have them confront their fears without the need of some safety object. I can do it as long as I've got my water bottle or as long as I've got my stuff here, as long as I've got mom next to me. Over time with practice, the brain starts to let go of that association between the fear of something's someone's going to break into the house and I need to check the doors or the fear of contamination. And I need to wash my hands every time I touch anything. Right. So same thing with ticks as well. Right. When we have just ticks, we're often looking at habit reversal training. It's called HRT. So that's where, you know, the main focus is on increasing our awareness of the ticks and then engaging in a competing response to the tick. And so it really goes hand in hand with what we do with OCD as well. And like I said, even though some people find it harder when managing the ticks and OCD, 
it doesn't really hold up always. It's not an all or nothing or always true. I find it easier, like I said, because we have that physical feedback already that the kiddos are getting. They already know what's happening in their body, that feeling of overwhelm. And it's so much easier for them with that awareness piece. So we can jump in with that awareness piece right away, right? Because they're already aware. And now we can teach them how to self-monitor those sensations, self-monitor some of those warning signs that happen before the tick happens. So they can start doing something else. So I had one little guy who would have these elaborate ticks. And I noticed the first thing that he would do, I don't think other people notice, but he would touch his waist first, and then he would start engaging in the tick. And so at first, you know, people had been trying to work on the tick as he was doing whatever it was. We'll just say it was snapping. It was way, way more complex, but So most people were focusing on that need right before he was snapping. But once we really broke things down, he always touched his waist first and then went into the tick, right? So that what was happening right before that time when you touch your waist first. So I think that that's really important Um, for the younger kiddos. Like I said, where they do have a hard time with this, we're going to focus more on the competing responses. We're going to be building that awareness. But like I said, until they're about 10, when, when, funny enough, the ticks do get worse, that awareness training can be really tricky. So we're just working on the competing responses instead. When we do the the competing response training, um, we got to remember the brain's built on reward system. So anything that we do, we want to make sure it's rewarding the brain so that we increase that behavior. So if the tick relieves that buildup of tension, that's going to be uber rewarding. So the focus then is breaking that reinforcement loop right? By finding a different response that is incompatible to the tick, because we don't want to create more ticks and it's building our tolerance to the discomfort. And we're rewarding our brain to say, Hey, this is actually more relieving. This is actually better for me in the long run. First though, we need to practice, 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 right? To help that response become more automatic. And so whatever we define as this competing response, great. We've identified it, but now we've got to practice it and practice it and practice it and practice it. So they don't even have to think about it, that we can actually start replacing that behavior. So there's lots of different steps. Um, if we do the competing behavior, of course, we want to make sure that it's socially acceptable. We don't want to replace one weird tick with another weird tick, right? We want to be able to do something that's socially acceptable and not so tick like ish. That's really going to be setting kids apart. So lots to think about, but I think that that kind of gives a bit of a framework and and, and some ideas of what actually needs to start happening when we're working with kiddos with tick-related OCD. So I'll leave it there for today because I know it's a lot to process. Uh, Next time, I'm going to actually be talking about how the adults in a child's life, or if you've got an adult um, client who's anxious and has got tick-related OCD, just how other important people in their life can respond to those ticks in helpful ways. Because sometimes how we are responding to our kids or how other people are responding to those ticks can actually be problematic, making them worse. So I deep dive into the process of anxiety and how to help kiddos manage that effectively. I do have my compass training, my mastery training program. So check those out. If you want to learn more, you can email me and find out any ways um, to find out about that training or just consultations. I'm happy to help however I can. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, so you don't miss any uh, uh, information that I share. Goodbye for today. Thanks for joining me. Go help those anxious kiddos be bold and courageous, and I'll see you next week.